being able to get people to have conviction around your ideas is a really is a sale. So as an entrepreneur, being able to sell your ideas and get people get people excited about them, I think is a, a really important skill to have. Everything leads to growth with the National Association for Sales Professionals. The Leads to Growth podcast with the National Association for Sales Professionals provides in-depth discussions sharing the best sales, prospecting, influence, and communication skills, as well as sales training techniques to take your professional sales career to the next level. Hello and welcome to another podcast, Leads to Growth with the National Association of Sales Professionals. Uh, welcome back, y'all. Thank you for being here. And as usual, we have a, uh, a very special guest. I know I say special all the time, but you know what? That's the kind of people that we just end up flocking around are special people. So uh, we've got somebody here today, William Balance. Uh, for all y'all who don't know, William is the CEO of Lavender. If y'all don't know, you're going to find out a little bit more here. William, thank you for joining us today, sir. Thank you for having me. Awesome, man. Uh, William, don't listen. Don't worry about William. He's call, he's he's tuning in from Mexico, so he's doing all right right now. Uh, no 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 uh, no fall weather worries for him. But let me tell you a little bit about William and uh, and Lavender. If y'all don't know, Lavender was the number one product on Product Hunt. That's how actually I found them. That's quite a, the story of me discovering and having these conversations with William has been kind of fun for me because um, I started. I'm a Product Hunt guy, and and so I saw this on there, and I was like, oh, that's interesting. Let me check it out. And then uh, a little later on, I saw a quote from Justin Michael, who uh, everybody knows I'm a big fan. We at NASP are big fans and sales boards, right? And Justin said, this is the future of sales email. So I started to check it out more. And basically, they're, they're combining uh, psychology and artificial intelligence and data science to help uh, improve human communication. And in this case, they're doing it through email. Uh, Lavender is actually a real-time email assistant, AI-driven coach that helps uh, users get more replies and more meetings. It's, it's a really, really great, great valuable tool. And, and this cat right here, as, as a start from where we all come from, this guy, this guy did, did sales. He was business development, uh, built a career out of this, and then made it the pivot towards a founder through some amazing marketing campaigns, some campaigns he ran uh, that end up getting featured in the Washington Post, the Richmond Times, um, and, and all over the places where you want to be seen. Um, and so we're really, really honored to have you here. Um, are you in Baja right now, uh, William? Is that where you're at? I'm in South Baja, a little town called La Paz, which means the peace, super tranquil town, like two hours northeast of Cabo in the southern tip of, of Baja, California. Hey, that sounds lovely already. He's got me opening emails. Uh, so, William, I, I uh, thank you so much for being here. Um, first off, man, I, you've got a great story. I, I, I just talked to you a little bit and found out a little bit more that not only was before the business development, you had a, you had a, a, a first direction of, uh, of a completely different uh, place to start. So tell me a little bit about how you got to where you are today, because this seems like if, if I were to look at what you're doing, I would say, oh, this, this dude trained from this from the day he was born. Uh, he's been studying this. He's got degrees in this. And this is everything he's been building his whole life. But this isn't how you got here, is it? It's not. Um, I mean, if we track the story back, if I had to think about what actually brought me to building an email communication technology startup, it really started when I was a kid. I think around seventh grade, I started doing entrepreneurial type things. In my case, I was selling mixed CDs in my homeroom in seventh grade back when CD burners were just coming out. And some other things that happened like early on in my life, I 
really randomly got introduced to HTML, making websites between the summer of fifth and sixth grade. I was invited by my school to do like this special summer program. And it kind of got me interested in, in programming. And then I developed that a little bit more over the years. I was really interested in this game and there were some programming elements that people were doing with this game. And I'll save that part of the story because it's not like the, the most interesting part, but I look back on my early days and things I was interested in as a kid. And there is these, these seeds of like entrepreneur, entrepreneurial activities and technology that were kind of combining, but that wasn't my intended path. It was just things I did kind of for fun. I had planned to be a lawyer. I thought I was going to go into government and I went to school with the intention of studying to do that. I went to school to study political science. And while I was there, I realized that I didn't really like all of the reading that came with studying government and law. And I just knew law school was going to be more of that. And when I was in college, I started taking as my electives, these economic courses. And my school was very focused on entrepreneurship and had an entire center around entrepreneurship. And they were really adamant about how bottoms up entrepreneurship can develop economies. And that's what I did my senior thesis on. And along the way, I met like great entrepreneurs. I interned for one of them and he put me in the direction of moving into a sales career. And I started working at a really early stage startup out of college. I was the second hire and really the first full-time salesperson. They had $30,000 in sales, no sales process. I literally had 30 minutes of sales training by the CEO and he had to go to a different meeting and just get, gave me an iPhone three in a room and an Excel file. And then I just hit the phone and I kind of figured it out on the phone myself and grew that company over the next year and a half to around 2 million, maybe a little bit more in, in revenue. And then some things happened. He pivoted, went, sold his other company, moved to California. You know, the, comp the bubble, we were kind of in a bubble. We were in the daily deal space. And when the economy started to rebound, the daily deal space consolidated and he went and did something else. And I went and worked at an early stage technology company company that was in the incubator at Georgia Tech in Atlanta. It was a data-driven marketing automation platform for e-commerce stores. And when I was working in daily deals, I was an e-commerce store. And since I was so early at that company and I built a lot of trust and I was really developing basically all of our revenue, I, over time, even though I was young, was getting a lot of experience, getting it would be able to oversee a lot of things in the company, everything from the sales, training new salespeople, customer service and success, um, doing the email marketing, the social marketing. So I was touching a lot of different things. And while I wasn't an expert in any of those things, I was getting experience really young, very early in my career in all these different aspects. So I think years later, I've come back into play. But I left that and went and worked at this early stage tech company that was VC funded. So it's my first experience with an actual sales team where I wasn't like the only person or the first person. I joined the team. I was number 13 on the sales team, I believe. And I really understood that pain point because I had worked in e-commerce and I had experienced the pain point they were solving, which made it much easier for me to connect with the buyers. And I was pretty successful at selling the product. But while I was there, there was a women's college in Virginia, Sweetbriar College, which was a school that was close to where I had gone to school. And they announced that they were closing and they were running out of funding, there were all these problems, there was a huge like, legal battle in Virginia. And I had some experience with marketing and, and some other community building activities that I had done on the side. and just thought I could help. And I, I launched a Facebook group and some campaigns and some fundraisers to help raise funding and awareness for this school. And along the way, had this idea for launching an alumni fundraising app. 
And in my spare time, I was building this and I was taking money out of my paycheck each month to pay a developer that I met on Reddit to build an early version of this alumni social network funding app, fundraising app. And the thesis being that it's really uncommon for young alumni to donate to their schools. And I was seeing that when this school was trying to save itself and it did get saved largely by the alumni mobilizing, but normally young alumni don't donate. And what people don't realize is that even just donating a dollar helps increase the giving percentage for the school and it increases their rankings. So I had this app that I made that was like a combination of a social network plus making it really easy for young alumni to donate $5, $10 to their school. And this idea started eating away at me and this entrepreneurial bug, which I think was ingrained in me since I was younger, started to really eat at me. And I, I made the decision that I was gonna go full-time into building this app and I, I left my job about five years ago, a little bit, a little bit over five years ago now. And uh, I had a, a rude awakening when I first left. I, I thought it was gonna be similar to selling marketing software to entrepreneurs and I could just call them and they'd pick up the phone and they could give me their credit card and they'd buy. And I left my job the last day of July and I kicked off my selling my product in August. And I found out that that's not what happens when you're selling education. Uh, it's a much longer sales cycle. There's lots of bureaucracy. They don't want to be the early adopters of your early version technology that was built by some guy you met on Reddit. And also they go on vacation in August because it's the middle part of summer school and when the fall semester starts. So I, I didn't really have a huge cushion when I left my job. I just kind of made the decision that I believed in myself and I was going to go in and try to sell my app and, and normally sell it to. Um, at, the, at the beginning. So I was kind of unsure and I almost went and got a job, actually applied for a job at Salesloft. And ultimately, by the time that we started talking, and that's actually a really interesting side story, just me making that application uh, resulted in a lot of other things happening, which we can get into, especially with Lavender. But I, I applied for Salesloft and at the time they didn't have a recruiter on staff. So I didn't hear back from them for like two months. And by that point I had figured it out. But in this like middle period, my, my cousin was getting married and I didn't have a lot of money. I hadn't told my family that I was quitting my job. So I didn't want to get her an expensive gift. And at, around the same time, Snapchat was allowing people to make custom filters based on your location. And at the time, there wasn't a designer for that. Now they have like a self-service thing where you can build a Snapchat filter. But at the time, you had to be a graphic designer in order to to build a filter for, sure. for this technology. So I had a background in daily deals. I, I made a <coughs> filter for my cousin's wedding. Um, so I, we geofenced the church and the reception hall and all of her friends had this filter on their pictures and they all loved it. And I thought, well, if they love it, other people will love it. And what if I could distribute this through daily deals? So I had a background in that. So I reached out to contacts at Living Social and Groupon, spun up a website, and I was the only provider of custom Snapchat filters in North America for Groupon and Living Social for about six months. And they started letting other people on the on the platform that were selling the same thing and there tried to be more competition around pricing. But this gave me the kind of the intermediate, intermediary uh, funding to just survive and not have to get a job. And along the way, kept building the app, kept trying to sell my alumni app and got my first client for that. And then I was off to the races and you know, the story continues from there, but wow. I'll pause at that point to see if there's any questions. <laughs> That's like a large part of my life, but that does, that part does segue into how we eventually get to Lavender, which I think is an interesting story of how I got introduced to communication psychology. But I'm gonna pause there. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, thank you. Uh, this is so many questions popped up and, and I love, I mean, have you read Adam Grant's book, Think Again or, or um, 
I think it's rethink or think again, it's called, um, it's a great book about, um, you know, the idea of confirmation bias, like oftentimes we'll go through something, we won't get the results we're like, no, 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 I know it's right. Yeah, it's called think again, and we'll continue to push through, we'll double down on it. But I, I hear a lot of your stories where you maybe evaluated something and you, and you pivoted a lot of times through your life. And I think that's a very important for people to hear out there that, and, and how all of those turns and all those pivots and all those skills that you accumulated along the way started to support you and feed you to what you're doing today. And the other thing I noticed too, is that you led with value. You led to add value. I saw a place where I could add value and adding value allowed you to have an opportunity to, to create your own thing first. I think often people are out there to try to, what can I do to, to get money out of people? What can I do to sell people? But when you seek to add value first, this is where you seek to find something that has some viability. I think it's key. So one of the things that I remember thinking on the way back from class in college, again, studying political science, wanting to be a lawyer, I had this epiphany that, business people are the ones that generally hire the lawyers, not the other way around. And I should be on the side that's doing the hiring, not the, not the other, not the one that's <laughs> working for an hourly rate. Although those lawyers sure. make a lot of money, but I thought maybe being an entrepreneur would be better, higher, lower, or higher potential um, income that way. But what actually was the catalyst for me quitting my job and going full-time in a startup was doing this fundraiser and this campaign for this women's college. And I remember very vividly, one of my friends was like, why are you wasting your time trying to help this school? You need to be thinking about a business idea that you can start. And I was just like, no, it's not about that. I'm just trying to help them. These are my friends, my buddies' wives, girlfriends. I went to the school. I just want to help. And maybe something comes from it. And I got a lot of notoriety in that community. And there was some press that came about. None of that really plays into to, plays a role today, but it was something that got me started. And I didn't have any intentions of making money or building a company from that. It just kind of, kind of, was natural progression, but it all started with me just trying to help. Well, and I think it, it did play a role in where you are today, right? Because it helped build the character and helped build a person that realized that he could seek to add value first. And then if he added value, that the money would follow, that, that, that yeah. it would be returned with that value. And I think that's a huge lesson that if you're not out there practicing, if you're not out there trying, if you're not out there doing things where you see an opportunity, not until... Because most people go, oh, wait, wait, let me make sure all the ducks are in a row so I can get paid for this before they even take the time to do it. But you you sought to just go seek and add that value. And I think that play and practice mentality is, is something that we can all learn from and is probably leads to a lot of the, the success that you found in your future. And there's also in this experience, like something that was, I look back on as incredibly random and serendipitous that I think set the ball in motion for actually building something in communication psychology. So when I was doing the fundraiser for the women's college, there was someone who donated to one of the campaigns that I was doing. And part of it was you would dedicate the donation to someone at the school if you had someone there. And a lady donated and I recognized the last name because my college roommate dated her daughter in college and she did not dedicate the donation to her daughter. So I emailed her and I was like, hey, I recognize your name. My friend was your daughter's boyfriend for a time and I'm sure you wanted to ded dedicate your donation to your daughter. And she wrote me back and then we developed a, a friendship, this lady and I, and she was a consultant in Washington DC in something known as the Herman Brain Dominance Instrument. And this is something that's used by the government, large organizations to structure leadership teams and to understand their employees. It's a framework for how people make decisions. And what it, what it basically says is that everyone thinks through a decision in four quadrants in the brain. 
They think through the action, the vision, the people, and the data. So data is like supporting facts. The people are who's involved, who's this decision impact. The vision is what are all the opportunities or potential of making this decision, what's the outcome. And the action is what are the, like, what's the process of getting it done. And everyone goes into these quadrants in different orders and magnitudes when they make decisions based on who they are. So some people really, really data-driven, really in the weeds, but maybe don't have that big vision. And once they have the big vision, maybe just act with their gut and don't do all their research. So teams will use this to make sure that they have someone on their team that's dominant in each of these quadrants. So she introduced me to that by complete chance and gave me the assessment and taught me about it, gave me all the literature on it. And I thought that was really interesting. So that's just like a side thing. I had no idea that I would eventually be using that in technology later on. But it kind of came to fruition when I was trying to sell my alumni app. I got to the fall semester. There were two schools that were interested in what I was building. And one of them agreed to be a customer. And then they asked me, who else are your customers? And I didn't have any. And when I told them that, they stopped responding, wouldn't do the deal, just went dark. And then by contrast, there's another school who told me, we want to buy this because we want to be the first people to have this. And we're going to pay you more than you're asking for because you didn't ask for enough. We're going to fly you to New York to present to us, put you in a hotel, like the whole nine yards. And I'm like, I want to find more people like them. How do I find more of these pioneers within my data set of potential schools to buy my app? And I don't want to focus as a solo founder bootstrapping on the people that need all these proof points. In psychology, in the brain, these are known as stability traits and uh, oh, I the other name. Stability and plasticity traits. Mm-hmm. So plasticity traits are a desire for change and stability traits are a resistance to change. So plasticity traits are action and vision and more or less, it, it gets deeper than that, but just for the sake of explanation. And stability traits are more like people who are data and people dominated. They, they need to have these proof points from other people and the ones that are more, have a de- bigger desire for change are more likely to just move on their own. So I had this idea of what if I could take my CRM data and use something like a crystal nose, which is personality assessment, mm-hmm. and somehow do that at scale, where I have 7,000 schools in my CRM. I need to isolate who are the people that are going to favor change and be able to make decisions with their gut, don't need proof point, don't need data, don't need testimonials. And I really had no idea how to build this, but I thought it would be really cool. It would solve my problem. And this was like the light bulb moment. And I had this idea for a product that would take your CRM, analyze all the data of the people in that, in that CRM, and then based on how they fell on this personality spectrum or this decision-making spectrum, give them different outbound. And again, I, really know, I didn't really know how to build that, but I thought it was really cool. It could be really useful. So a few months pass, I had this fledgling startup trying to sell my bootstrap little early version app to schools who wanted all these integrations. They have all this legacy software. I had no funding. And along the way, I got, I, I was making this e-commerce store selling these meme magnets, like memes on a magnet was what it was called. And at my, my building in Atlanta, where I was at the time, there's this like technology building and there's this big whiteboard in the community room. And I wrote memeonamagnet.com, doesn't exist anymore, but I wrote it on the whiteboard as like kind of an advertisement and someone there saw it and his name was Jeff. And Jeff back in the day created something called the rejection hotline. And the rejection hotline was this number that went super viral in the early 2000s where you call it and people reject you. And he had like a billion people call this number or something. So he was a speaker at an upcoming event that Techstars, which is a 
an accelerator was sponsoring called Startup Weekend. And Startup Weekend was a weekend kind of competition where you go in, you present an idea for a business, you assemble a team and see how far you can get in the weekend. And one of the, the points of that competition was that you cannot present an idea you've been actively working on, only an idea that you have thoroughly vetted. So I couldn't pitch the idea for my alumni app. So I pitched the idea for this personality segmentation for marketing, which is what I was thinking about for these schools. And while I was there, uh, and I really was super random, I signed up for this competition like 15 minutes before it started. And I remember sitting down and I saw this television and it's like, this is the weekend that could change your life. And little did I know my co-founder was sitting in, my now co-founder was sitting in front of me, Will Allred. And we kind of we're at this competition together. And if you're going to spend your weekend at this competition, like you're probably somewhat motivated, you have a, a desire to build something. And we met, I pitched my idea for this technology marketing or this marketing technology. And Will had been working in marketing consulting and understood the pain point that I was trying to solve. Although most people there did not. I had a really hard time assembling a team and I almost did not get enough votes or assemble a team to move through the competition. I would have had to have joined someone else's team. I think I got by like by one vote because you had to vote on different ideas and the ones that had the most were the ones that progressed forward in the competition. But we built a team for the weekend and started building a really early version of what could become a personality segmentation tool at scale. So like Crystal knows at scale for marketing in a way. And we won the competition and had a lot of groundswell from that. Angel investors were interested in talking to us. Will quit his job the next day, came in full time with me. And I wasn't getting much traction with my alumni app. So I was like, well, there's definitely more potential. There's more things happening with this fundraising, with this marketing technology, just potential funding, et cetera. So I pivoted and then Will joined my team the following Monday. And we were off to the races trying to figure it out. We raised some angel capital shortly thereafter. In the meantime, I sold my car in order to have the funding to not get a job until we were able to close the angel capital. And we started building this technology and did some early pilots and so on and so forth. And along the way, we found out that not while we could segment, use, well, I took the big part. I still had no idea how to actually build it. And there is some research coming out of the University of Cambridge around using online data to predict personality for the purpose of marketing. So we just reached out to the researchers and started talking to them. And some of them helped us build our technology, like the leading researchers who to us were like superstars. We, had, we did not think they're gonna to respond to us, but they still email us today. And we ended up working with like the leading researcher as well as one of the leading neuroscientists in the world for, for marketing. So power of a cold email is like really right there. Just take just shoot your shot and send the cold email because a lot can happen from it. We met these researchers, started building this technology. Real quick, real quick, William. I love that that your pivot was solving a problem because you were really only the only reason you went to the new gig was to solve a problem for the the original app. Yeah, you're, yeah. You're, 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 in, in your mind, you were still playing the 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 other one was the one that was going to yeah. make it. As long as I yeah. can fix this hole, I've got this thing in the back door here. Yep. And then one day that just became the, that one became second fiddle. And this thing just became the one that you knew it was going. When was yeah, that, when was that point where you were like, no, no, this is the one, this is, this is now the number one position. It's no longer the, the, the app anymore that we were. Well, when I, when I was out of money and investors were like, we're going to fund this other thing. So I was like, okay, I should probably go with the place. that's going <laughs> to pay the bills. So that was really a hell good. of a, that's a hell of a, it's a hell of a, a mover, right? The money. Sometimes when you have no money and someone's willing to give you money for something, 
hey, you'll choose that one to move with. Yeah, I mean, I had I had really gone down. I had run out of cash. Like I had been yeah. trying to do this the startup. I was self-funding everything. Like I was getting down to the wire, and it was to the point where. I was planning to go look for a job the week after this competition. I was going to go back into sales. Um, I, I mentioned earlier that I had originally applied for SalesLoft because they had they had started in the building that I was at in Atlanta. And when I applied, it was right after I quit my job to do the do the app. And I didn't hear back from them for two months. And they wrote back and they apologized and they're like, "Hey, we didn't have a recruiter on staff, so we didn't get these resumes. We have someone now. Can you meet?" And I wrote back and I'm like, I've actually kind of figured out, I'm just going to pursue the startup, um, but I'll still meet with you just to get coffee. We can network. So I met, I got coffee with this recruiter and we chatted and, and that was it. And then after I got the deal with the early adopting school, I was back in Atlanta and I met my friend for, for coffee. And then we walked across the street to this restaurant and this recruiter from sales loft walked in and I was like, Oh, Hey, what's up? Like, I, I know you. And he said, nice to see you again. Our entire product team is on the back deck if you want to go meet them. So I went out, I met the product team at SalesLoft, including at the time their head of product, Butler Reigns, who's now head of product at, at ambition.com. But Butler basically was the head of product at SalesLoft from their seed to their series E. Wow. I was telling them, telling them about my alumni app and how I just got my first client. It turns out Butler was on the board at his college's alumni association, really passionate about alumni relations. He ended up being an advisor of mine. Years later, as we're building Lavender, a sales tech product, Butler's an advisor and an investor in our, in our technology, and obviously a wealth of experience from his days building SalesLoft and now Ambition, which is also a sales tech product. Um, so I, I, it's kind of weird how all the dots connected, but the real catalyst from going from the alumni app to the, to the marketing app was purely because that's where there was interest, I think, from investors. And there's a really big vision. And I, I'm really ashamed, not ashamed, but kind of sad that it didn't actually take, take, take fire. But I'll get to that in a second. So we were building this, this app. And along the way, we had our first version. I moved to New York. I thought there's more agencies there, more brands. We're trying to build for e-commerce brands and agencies. So I got up there to network with our first version. We had some pilots with some pretty big names. And along the way, we learned that just being able to do the data segmentation of putting your audience into these different psychographic buckets based on how they think through decisions. It's interesting and we could prove conversion increases of like 40% higher conversion, but it was a lot of work for the average marketer who's likely not a psychologist, not a neuroscientist to take this insight and then know how to structure campaigns based on this insight. So. Mm-hmm. Along the way, I randomly met our now CTO, my other co-founder, Casey, at a networking event in New York. It was a private networking event. He was working at a different tech company at the time, and we had some bugs in our first version. And I met him, and I was just like, "Can maybe you can come on as a consultant and fix some of our bugs? Just because the firm that we're using um, have a lot of bigger clients than us. They were really building it as a friend, another advisor of mine from the alumni app. They have a firm in Atlanta building technology. They built our first version of this marketing tech. I met Casey. Casey liked what we were doing. He quit his job, came and worked for us for free until we got some more funding, built a new version of our marketing tech. And a large part of this build was being able to analyze marketing copy and give suggestions based on helping you structure your copy for a Facebook campaign or an email campaign based on the audience that you're targeting. So around January of 2020, we had a version of this that was finished and we started doing a pilot with one of our, our early customers and we were able to double their return on ad spend in a week by using this technology that would analyze their, 
their marketing copy looking for linguistic variables that were predictors of successful campaigns. Had a really good pipeline with some enterprise car companies. Things were off to the races, talking to investors, um, really had a lot of momentum going. And then COVID hit and we lost our pipeline. We lost our customers. People stopped investing in marketing in the very beginning and we didn't have a ton of runway and we were kind of unsure, are we gonna be able to, to survive COVID? And there's not a lot of investment right now going into marketing spend. People are really uncertain. They're trying to conserve dollars because we have no idea what's gonna happen. This is like February, March of 2020. So we just saw this shift happening to remote first. And we had two things at our disposal. We had data on people. We knew how to get data on people we were using to make these segmentations. And we had this new writing analysis tech that we had built for, for marketing. And we were all together at- Which was solving a problem for the, sec the first one. The first one was to solve a problem for the app. And then you had to build the, oh, wait, we can't sell this if they don't know how to write the copy themselves. So you built a problem to solve that. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah, yeah exactly. And then COVID was like this, this great shift in everything. And yeah. I'm fortunate that we were able to adapt and pivot. But that was also, I think, by chance. We were in this entrepreneurship center at NYU. And I saw a TechCrunch article that LinkedIn was sunsetting LinkedIn sales navigator for Gmail. And that used to be a company called Reportive that LinkedIn bought many years ago, which shows social data on the people that you are emailing. Mm -hmm. And when LinkedIn bought it, they started stripping out all the other social data. And then sales navigator just showed LinkedIn data. But back in the day, it showed tweets, Facebook, et cetera. So we thought, well, people like that. I use that. What if we just built that? It could be a weekend weekend product, just show social data on the people that you're emailing, launch it on product hunt or something. And then we were like, well, what if we took this writing technology we built for marketing emails and we just tweaked it a little bit to be for one-to-one -one emails and we combined them and made this new thing. And so we did that. We had no other, I mean, we didn't really have a lot of options. People weren't spending on marketing. We didn't have a ton of runway. So we figured why not? And we built what is Lavender. We had a, we had a domain name, we called it Project Lavender. And we started building this early version of what is Lavender. And Lavender is an email assistant that helps you write better emails faster and also shows you like research and context on the people you're emailing. So it's easier to personalize and put a face to a name. And it's come a long way since then, but that was a really early version of it. And what we were hearing in our very first users was that they were getting value on the very first email they were sending. And they thought it was really simple to use, which was a stark contrast to what we were hearing with the marketing tech, where it sounded scientific, neuroscience, psychology, same underlying science, but made in a, a way that's more easy for the user to understand and, and implement. So the feedback on the first, from the first user was really great. And then one of our first users, our eighth beta user, was a venture capitalist. Um, for a larger fund, like later stage, way earlier than we were. But he was an angel investor also that passed on our marketing tech. But we emailed him and said, check out this new thing we're building, not asking for an investment, actually, just saying, you see a lot of companies in your role. I'm curious what you think about this. And he wrote back a couple of days later and he said, I'm using this on a third of my inbox. I think it's super sticky. I'll fund you for a few months to bring it to market and go through the pivot from this marketing tech to, to lavender. And again, just like before, we are backs were against the wall. Someone wants to fund this product. Let's follow that. And 
let's see what happens. And we also had the fact that our users, our very early users really loving this early version. And we had no, no targeting, no, we weren't building for salespeople at the time. This is just whoever would try it, we would let try it. And the feedback was great. And that's how we got into building our sales tech product, which is, which is Lavender. Wow. Um, <laughs> you know, it, it, it's so funny too, because you, you, the way you tell the story, obviously we leave out a lot of the, you know, the, the days where you were sitting in your room, like beating your head up against the wall or the times where you were like, what are we going to do? And all the thoughts that run through your head, you know, and, but to put, to look at the story that of pivoting, uh, to look at the story of when you create a vision strong enough, you have to trust that it, you're going to be pulled towards it. There's a great analogy. Someone told me that, um, you know, we all have this vision of creating this big company or becoming successful, whatever the thing is, but it's like we walk up to the forest and we know that on the other side of the forest is this, this, this thing we want to get to. And we start walking in the direct straight line that we assume that we're going to be able to walk to get to the other side. And then all of a sudden the trees, the trees down in front of us, right? Well, we got to walk, uh, you know, got to walk 10 miles to the right. Oh, there's a swamp. Now you got to walk, you know, got to walk around the swamp. Well, the only people that don't get to the end result of those people that tell the story of quitting, tell, tell the story of failure. And, and William, what, what comes to me through your story is that you never, the, it's not to say those thoughts don't cross everyone's mind, but you never accepted those. You, 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 you never accepted a failure as, a, as an option. You, you always move forward and always held, held tight to your vision. Absolutely. I think it's essential. I think resilience and perseverance are two of the strongest personality traits for someone who's trying to be self, self-employed or an entrepreneur, because there's so many uncertainties. There's so many things, so many curveballs to get thrown to you. And in our case, there was stuff around the tech. There was a global pandemic. There was like the world shutting down. There are like all these different things that we cannot predict. And uh, it's just something that we've been used to since the very beginning just finding new solutions to our problems. A good example is actually like in the very, very early days of, of uh, the marketing tech, we originally were going to use Crystal Nose. Like we talked to their founders and they gave us their API. And we we're gonna, that was what we thought. We just used Crystal Nose and build a marketing product on top of their platform. And they actually let us use their API for that competition. But then they found out what we were building and they cut off our API access. And we're like, oh no, how do we proceed now? And that was when we decided to reach out to the researchers. Let's just go to the source and build our own thing with the top talent in the world. That was something that had never had crossed our mind until we had this problem introduced to us that for many people, that would have been like, oh, we lost our data access. Let's just do something else. But we, um, we just found, found the, the researchers and, and worked with them instead. And that really gave us a lot of insight into not just being a tech company, but being a science company that is building technology around psychology and communication mm. science. And we have, a, in our current version, we worked with a PhD who built our, under our language analysis models alongside our team. So uh, because of that experience and because getting close to these researchers and understanding the importance of being close to researchers, although the market doesn't really care, like the users don't care who we work with, but they care when the product actually works and accomplishes the goals that they have. And there's a lot of science that goes into that. But that was really what made science a core part of our DNA. And at the time, it was the most stressful experience as we were beating our heads against the wall saying, we don't have this data, what can we do next? But taking a more macro look at it, it's actually core to how we even approach technology today was because we had that problem and we were able to move past it. That's, that's brilliant. Um, I, I, I absolutely love it. Uh, so so with, um, 
what's what's next for lavender now you see you got here to solve a problem and now you're here and i know you i've heard some some whispers of some different things um is this because i love how you always look for solutions to problems as opposed to looking to looking for problems which seems to be you know the general consensus most people are looking for a problem oh there's there's the reason i can't do what i what i wanted to do Whereas when you find that problem, you have a different reaction to it. You have a different response to it. So what are the, what are the next problems that you're looking for solutions for out there? So I was talking with one of our users. She's an account executive at Gong. And we were chatting a week or two ago. And she was telling me how one of the things that she's really deficient in or feels like she's unprepared for is sales email. That's why she uses Lavender. I asked her why she uses Lavender. And she says, I've had training in sales. I've had training in negotiation in doing demos in doing phone calls. I never had training in email. And I'm too embarrassed to ask because people think that I should know how to write because you learn how to write in school. And writing in school is not what works the way, that you, the way you write in school for essays and research papers, et cetera, is not what works in a professional selling environment, but it's how people are trained. So there's like this embarrassment of asking for help or coaching around mm. your sales emails. Now, this testimonial or this, this interview with her was not like what made us build what's coming next. We we're already working on it, but I think it's a pain point a lot of sellers have. I never had training in sales emails. If I needed help on an email, I asked my manager and he came over and gave me his feedback. But the next part of Lavender is taking all the data we have, the data on, on your emails, the data on your prospects, data on your team, what's working, what's not working, what each individual sales rep is strong at or weak at or how they're trending, and using all this data to build essentially an AI-driven email coach where Lavender today is an AI email assistant. It helps you write the email. And if you follow the assistant, you have the best shot based on the hard data of doubling your response rate in less time. But it's also, you have kind of a, a reliance on this technology and a lot of people want to also improve in their career and their craft. So mm. the next, next version of Lavender launching in the next week or two starts to understand for each user what's working for them, what's not working for them, what's working for the people they're selling to or not. And the entire system becomes customized to them. And whenever they log in, they'll get new coaching cards. We're kind of filling that gap as the, the email coach. We talk to a lot of sales managers who are like, I need to be doing more coaching for my team, but I don't have time. I've got all these other things I have to do. And email coaching is one of those things that it's on my list, but it's not something I have as much time for. And in reality, a lot of the, the sales managers today maybe aren't set up for actually doing that because they came from a selling world that may have been more phone dominant. I was listening to a podcast with Jay Barrows and he was talking about this, how a lot of people that are in executive sales roles today, they came from a world where volume was the major competitive advantage. So a lot of their, their advice is make more dials, send more emails, do more volume. But what they don't have as much experience in, according to him, is doing it in a more, the content, essentially, the content being more human. And I think it's really important today when volume is no longer the competitive advantage in sales. When I was getting started in sales, I had a spreadsheet, then I have a CRM, and I had a cell phone, and I had to manually dial 100 dials a day or whatever it is, and it's manually send every single email. And I didn't have a cadencing tool. Those things weren't really in existence. And now with outreach, sales loft, other cadencing tools, auto dialers, et cetera, every sales rep can hit volume really easily. Just run through the dials and do an email blast to a million people if they wanted to with, with the push of a button. And I think when everyone's doing volume, the way that to differentiate is through your content and writing emails that people enjoy reading, that they want to read. 
And that's what Lavender really helps with. Man, I think sales leaders talk a lot about pattern interruption and they have all these tactics or things you can say or you know, misspell a word or things like that to stand out. But the real pattern interruption is just to send an email that's differentiated from every other sales rep. And every other sales rep is sending spammy templated emails, like long emails. They're not really great for reading and they all look the same with the same content. So Lavender is a pattern interruption in the sense that it gives you the ability to have empathy for how the buyer is reading their email or how they're experiencing their inbox. And it actually, Lavender actually solves a problem for the buyer as well as the seller because the buyer has a really, a really noisy inbox with a lot of emails they don't really want to read. And the seller has a problem because they're sending, sending the emails that have low response rates and the buyers don't want to read. So Lavender kind of fixes it on both sides of the equation, gives emails that are, you can write emails better and faster. So it solves a problem for the seller, but then the, the emails that the buyer receives, there's something that they're easy to read on their phone, easy to quickly make a decision on and solves their problem as well. Man, <laughs> I, honestly, you must have given this conversation a hundred times, bro. You sound so smooth the way you talk about everything and everything is so foundationally principled true. You know, it's, it's very funny how um, you have a real, uh, the, your story has a real um, sense of you seeking the truth, not trying to be right. There's no arrogance behind the things you do. Your idea works. It doesn't work. Let's go on to the next one. Um, and it, it's a beautiful thing. Now, I, I got to ask you a question. You started off in business development. You, did, you said you, you were looking at taking sales jobs here and there. How much has sales or influence, the skill of influence, um, played into your success as an entrepreneur? I think a lot. Um, I Someone told me when I was really young that everything in life is a sale. Whatever you're trying to do, negotiate a car, um, get, get into school, you're talking to the, the administration, go on a date, whatever it is, you're selling something, you're selling yourself. You're, and I've always taken that into consideration. So I think even as a kid, just trying to get my parents to let me do something or get out of trouble or something, in a way, that's a sale. And obviously, having a more formal sales position was really helpful in that you get used to talking to lots of people. You understand how to talk to them, how to use tone and get them engage, engaging and what they find interest in, what they don't find interest in, where to skip over the details, which I think a lot of people have trouble with. They really want to talk about things that they personally find really fascinating or cool, but to the buyer, they probably they don't. They only have a certain list of things that are really important to them. And that and developing that over time is really helpful as an entrepreneur, both for understanding our customers, because I used to, I was an SDR, I was an AE, I was a sales manager for a time. So I understand our problem. And granted, the world's changed. Like the way people are doing sales today is different than how I was doing it when I was a full-time sales rep. But a lot of the underlying principles are still the same. So I can identify with that. And a lot of the features in Lavender are things that I used to do that were maybe inefficient, but effective. For example, our mobile preview, which shows you a preview of how the email looks on your phone it makes you able to edit it really easily to make it more mobile optimized. As a seller, most sellers aren't thinking about mobile optimization, but the prospect is eight times more likely to open the email on their phone. So when I was in sales, even when I was doing fundraising for Lavender, which is also a sale, I would email myself my sales email to my phone, look at it on my phone, see how it looked on the phone, edit it on my computer, check it again, then send it to the prospect. That eats up a ton of time. So we built mobile preview into our product. So I think... My background in sales has been really helpful, both from understanding our users and our customers, building out our product roadmap and really envisioning problems to our solutions to problems that sales reps have, 
then also as an entrepreneur, especially in a, a founding role, a large part of your job is a sale, whether it's talking to investors, talking to customers, trying to get them to convert, talking to users, selling the product itself, like the most basic form of a sale. So a lot of things, building a team, getting to recruit people. I mean, everyone on our team worked for us, like either for free or pennies, like including my co-founders and getting some, for example, Casey, our CTO, he had a full-time job at a funded tech startup in New York to get him to quit his job and come work for free to build my product. That's a sale. Yeah. And being able to get people to have conviction around your ideas is a really is a sale. So as an entrepreneur, being able to sell your ideas and get people get people excited about them, I think is a, a really important skill to have. I agree. Uh, one more question for you, William. Um, your purpose, your why. For a person to go through all this, for to have so much resilience, uh, to to to, to sell your car, to, to wait for funding in two months, um, to look at going back to a J-O-B, which can't be something that my man living out in Baja wants to ever do, especially before the work remote days. Um, you know, what is your why? What is your purpose? What drives you? And uh, yeah, and, and, and what's, and, and then what's, and then what's next? I just like to create. That's really what it comes down to. I've always just had, I think, an innate desire to create things. And I channel that energy now into tech startups. But as a kid, maybe it was drawing or, or Legos or like whatever, these things that are creations. And I've always enjoyed that. And I think that's really what, what's happened. And then all these different disciplines that I've touched throughout my, my life have now kind of come together into a central point that is lavender. And yes, we've pivoted and we've made changes. We've adjusted to the market along the way. But the core foundation of the company is always rooted in this belief that psychology can improve human communication, whether it be in B2B or B2C. And we've done different avenues of that. First, we apply communication psychology to marketing. Now we're doing it in sales. And, and who knows what in the future, there's lots of opportunities on how we can develop the technology for other use cases. But that's the foundational belief of the company is that everyone has a brain and everyone thinks through things in their own unique way but there are some similarities and how can you use communication psychology to build an experience that the recipient is going to be more likely to respond to not using like persuasive tactics, but just using empathy for how their brain experiences content. And that's really key in lavender. And for me personally, it's around creation. I have like a side goal, uh, like an outcome goal of going to space. I think that'd be really cool. I wanted to do that nice. 15 years ago before anyone was talking about it. I thought there's just something that not many people get to experience. And my best shot at getting to an outcome like that would probably be something in entrepreneurship, although it's not my driving force. My driving force is just this desire to create. And I've always thought that I'm young enough where if I fail, I can always go back to a job. It's always something I can fall back on. And while I have the opportunity, why not take advantage of it and try to, to build something that no one else has built? And that's my, my, my purpose, I think. I love it. William, you are you're using technology to help us become human again in our selling, uh, which is a, a beautiful thing, considering most people are leveraging the technology to sound more like robots uh, and more automation. So I really love what Lavender is doing. And, and I love that you're taking it to the next level of coaching um, because, you know, we can become dependent on on these these skills or these these tricks 
uh, very easily and, and not really learn the purpose behind it. And I think learning of why you're doing these things, being empathetic to think about how someone's listening to you, to think about how the person's perceiving you, to try to do something good for that person for their reasons, not for your reasons. And I think this, this empathy, this thinking of others first um, has come common in your conversations. And I think the lavender does an excellent job at, at reminding people of that. And I think it's a beautiful thing for, for sales in general. So really, thank you for all you're doing. Thank you for being uh, here and sharing uh, your story. Is there anything else you want to share with the audience, anywhere they want to follow you? I'm going to put your LinkedIn in the, in, in, in the, in the books here so they can all catch you there. But Yeah, totally. So follow me on LinkedIn. It's where I'm most active. Um, Twitter, you can put that in the description as well. Trylavender.com is where you can find the product. It will really help you if you're a seller to get more replies. And the thesis is if you get more replies, more positive replies, especially all the other things you're trying to accomplish, book a meeting, close a deal. It's going to get on the phone. It's going to come after that positive reply. And keep in mind, you got to write emails like you want to read. It's kind of like the golden rule. And a lot of times the emails I receive when I'm getting prospected, all the seller wants to do is tell me about them and get me on the phone. And buyers are getting tons of emails that are saying, do you have 15 minutes? And those tend to get ignored. So just lead with starting a conversation and you can try to book time following that. I did a, a, a workshop uh, probably in, in the same YouTube channel this will be on that covers this some more. But since we didn't get too much into like lavender sales strategy, I'd, I'd lead with that or, or end with that. Um, just like selling is a golden rule. You got to treat other people the way you want to be treated and read emails that or send emails that you'd like to read. Lavender helps you with that. And I think it's ironic. You mentioned Lavender helps people sound more human. And it's super ironic because Lavender is in, in its core, it's AI. It's a robot. It's a robot that helps you become more human yeah. in your communication, which I think is really interesting. But um, yeah, follow us, try out the product. You can install it for free and get, and get going. And you should notice an increase in your replies and getting through your outbound messaging 30 to 50% faster, just being able to hit send faster, reducing writing time, reducing your time spent thinking about your email will be more efficient and you'll be more effective and it'll open you up, you open up your calendar for other opportunities, other, other, other selling opportunities, whether it being more phone calls or whatever it is you want to do. Um, Lavender should save you time and increase your results. Yeah, we've been having a lot of success with it just on the free version. I think we're looking at that team version here uh, awesome. uh, next week. So a lot of success. William, thank you so much. And, and for all y'all out there listening, reach out. And, and not just to this guy, but if you've got somebody else that you want to talk to, and don't be afraid to send the email. Don't be afraid to reach out. Good people are out there willing to help good people. And this guy's one of them. Yeah, go ahead. You got something I think else that's, to say. I think it's, I think it's key. Yeah. Um, a lot of times people... It's kind of like when people are afraid to pick up the phone and dial and there's that hesitancy around making a sales call. People feel the same way about sale, about cold emails. And I hear a lot of podcasts, people in sales and not in sales. And they'll, they'll even the famous people, they talk about how they got their first opportunities off of a cold email or just asking someone. A lot of people build up in their mind the other person and they get nervous, kind of like we did with those researchers. We thought, we're watching the, all these researchers on YouTube, their presentations, and then we're just like, they're people, let's email them. And they were really excited that someone had such a fascination in their research and they were excited to work with us, meet with us, follow up with us. And you just gotta hit send. You just gotta hit send, whether it's to a prospect or to someone in your personal life. And that goes for us as well. Feel free to reach out. My co-founder, Will Allred, offers free one-to-one -one email coaching. You don't, you don't have to be a user or a customer of ours. He will sit down with you for 30 minutes, go through your cadences, go through your emails, give you help. 
Ideally, you use Lavender to help you after the call, but you don't have to. It's all for free. Um, you can email me or just email team at trylavender.com and we can help get you set up with that as well. Yeah, absolutely. And check out the uh, the workshop we did not too long ago. We're going to have another one coming up in October here uh, with these guys. They're the real deal. And, and listen, here's the other thing too. Send someone an email. If they reply to you, they're probably the people that you want to reply to you. If they don't, chances are they're not the people that you need to be on the phone with anyways. Yeah. I think another way to think about that is, and kind of my my problem in some ways philosophically with these mass email campaigns, people get really excited if they get like a two or three percent or five percent or even ten percent reply rate. These are really this is like something people are really excited about, and that's great. But it also means ninety percent of people did not respond, and you've likely burned all those leads. So, like you mentioned, the ones that are responding are the ones you want to talk to. It's really double down and focus on them and find more people like them. But it all starts with sending an email people want to read and trying to get a conversation going. And a lot of times that conversation gets started by not trying to sell them in that first engagement, building a relationship. And that can come a little bit later, second or third email or after a phone call. All too often people try to, to use the classic example, get married in that first email when really we need to get to know each other a little bit more first. So hit send, reach out, but don't reach out for your own purposes, I think reach out understanding what's important to them and how you can fit into that and be relevant to what's going on in their life and what's important to them because your quota is not important to them. Just because you got to get a deal done this month, it's not important to them. So understanding what's important to the buyer and really resonating with that and building relevance is in a relationship, I think is the, it's a little bit more work, obviously, but when it comes time to cash your commission check, you're going to be a lot happier with that little bit of extra work. Is 100%. I think he used the two words with me earlier or, or a week ago or so. Uh, reach out thoughtfully and empathetically, right? And think about it. When somebody's reaching out to you, if they're thoughtful and empathetic, they're intriguing your curiosity. They're, they're activating your mind and they're making, oh, this person may know me or there's something that we have in common. There's some there's some magnetism or energy attraction here, right? When, when they're not thinking about you, you're instantly repelled. I think, what, how, how long do they have? How long do they have to read an email before they delete it? So they decide in the first three seconds if they're going to delete the email. It's largely based on formatting. Does this look easy to read, simple to read? Does it look like I have to do work? Because the, the prospect, they're getting lots of these things. Their inbox is a to-do list and your email is more work. Where this average seller, their inbox is probably pretty empty and their outbox is probably pretty full of sending emails but not getting a lot. So the seller, the buyer has a to-do list of, and a backlog of emails. So they decide in three seconds, does this look like something I should engage with? And then from there, they've got about 14 seconds to actually read the email before they decide if they're going to delete it. But you got to win that first impression, those first three seconds first, and then keep the email concise enough generally to take under 14 seconds to read for optim op complete optimization. Under 30 seconds is okay for like, put that in perspective, 14 seconds is around 50 words and a hundred words is around 30 seconds. This guy's fire. I, I, we could talk to him all day long for sure. Dude, William, I really appreciate this, man. I, I really enjoy our time. I know our audience is going to dig this. Um, and I'm going to catch you again here soon for something else. I'm going to get you on a workshop. I'm going to find any other way I can yeah. get conversations with you, brother. Thank totally. you so much. Really appreciate you. Audience, y'all, y'all. Listen, yeah, send the thank you, send the likes, make sure that you add the stars in, 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 the, in, in the comments here. And look, like, comment, and share this thing. This is a beautiful thing. Everybody you know in sales could use this information and use this beautiful story. 
right? Uh, sales is going to lead you everywhere you want to go in your life because you're going to use influence everywhere. And if you use it for the right way, which means that you're being empathetic, you're influencing people to do things that they want to do, people are going to move, right? Or they're going to buy it or they're going to get out of the way. And you're going to find that you're aligned with the people that you want to move with. And Williams built an amazing team following this, um, this resilience. And, and, and listen, some of us all have it in here already, right? This guy was maybe not born with it, but he's had it at an early age. Some of us don't have it now, right? Some of us haven't had that resilience. And that's why, you know, we have these programs at NASP, these CPSP programs. Sometimes people need a restart. And I, I don't know about you, William. I've been in a place sometimes where I just need to get my habits realigned again. I got to get my head back focused, you know, and get a restart. And that's what the certification programs are great for. So check those out. Like, comment, subscribe. Tune in the next week. And William, cheers, brother. Thank you so much, man. Thank you. Like and subscribe. <laughs>